We are thankful as a church for our women, and we told the Lord that. And I hope that we all believe that. The Lord has been very kind to us. We looked at ten things, and we have four of them to finish this afternoon, that God made women to be. The role of the woman. I gave you a number of reasons why it's important to preach on this subject, ranging from the fact that a minister ought to preach the whole counsel of God, all the way down to the fact that every woman will give an account for what she has done to fulfill her role as a woman. The woman is first of all a helper, because God created Eve to be a help meet for Adam. Not a help meet, but a help meet for Adam, a helper. She is his subject and he's to rule over her. And every woman should believe that because it's the Word of God and it's a result of what you did in the most superior member of your sex that has ever lived. What she did in Eden. The woman is a follower because she's a helper and in subjection to her husband. And therefore she follows her husband and he leads her. The Bible even tells us that in things pertaining to the worship of God, if a woman will learn anything, let her ask her husband at home. He's her leader. If a man doesn't have the ability to answer her question, then he needs to find the answer from someone else. And he's able to be that for her. That makes a woman quite dependent upon her husband. And if a woman feels, well, I might never amount to my full potential... If my husband is unable to answer all my questions, or if he makes foolish choices for me, or if he doesn't lead me well while I'm following him, I will say to that, Amen. You'll reach your potential in heaven and not short of it. Every nation suffers when its rulers do not make good choices for the nation. The whole nation suffers. Children suffer when they're born into homes where they don't have godly and loving parents. But that doesn't alter God's authority structure at all. It just confirms it. Imperfect authority is always better than no authority. And so a woman never needs to chafe against that. You never lose trusting God. If you will lose your life by casting yourself upon the Word of God, you will find your life and you will win. If you try to protect yourself by holding some of the verses of the Bible at bay and saying, I can't go that far, you will lose your life and you will lose and then you'll give an account of it to the Lord. Women are to be helpers in subjection to their husbands and followers. Then the woman is a lover. And that was just read to you again from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which tells her her duty to be very conscientious about her husband's physical needs. She's a mother. Eve was the mother of all living. And a mother is a great part of being a woman to bring children into this world. It puts every one of us in awe when we drive home from wherever that birth took place. There were two that went and three come home. And even men can be gripped by that uh, eerie situation. I well remember bringing Rachel home. There were only two of us that had ever lived and that apartment together before, there were only two. Every time we went somewhere in the car, there were only two of us. We could talk about anything. We could do anything that we felt like because there was only two of us. But then on the way home from the hospital, there's a third one. And as a young man, 
20 years of age, I looked over and said, oh no, I'm now responsible for three people, not just two. And look at how helpless that one looks. Am I going to be able to take care of her? And you know, that's how men grow up. It's being faced with responsibility. But women bring those children to the world and we're thankful for it. We're sorry that our Father lets you talk to the devil so that your sorrow and your conception has been multiplied. The preaching of this sermon is to keep every girl and woman in this church from getting into a similar situation by believing the devil on some other lie. And we're sorry for the difficulty that it takes to bring those children into the world. But we're thankful for your willingness to do so. We had a young man standing before you holding that little baby, talking about how easy it was, and that's how all men talk about it. But all you women, we're thankful for what you do and for bringing children into this world. They're a wonderful blessing. They're a gift from God, and every mighty man has his, air, has his quiver full of them, although quivers are of different sizes. Yes, right. The woman is a, work, is a domestic, and she's a worker. I believe all, with all the Word of God, and I tremble before the words, keepers at home. But I understand keepers at home like I understand every other phrase in the Bible, that it is to be mixed, compared, and matched to everything else the Spirit of God has said about women. She is to be keep a keeper at home as compared to being a busybody wandering about from house to house speaking things which they ought not. You can find that in 1 Timothy chapter 5. That is the explanation for those three words. It doesn't mean she's locked at home. And the, and the people that take the twisted, conservative, tight view of those words never practice it strictly as they ought to. Because those women leave the houses as well. When I look in Proverbs chapter 31, that woman leaves the house. But whenever she leaves the house, it's not to gossip. It's not to wander to other ladies' houses and have a chit-chat. She's leaving her house to do some commercial real estate or deliver some girdles to a merchant man or to obtain some food from afar as a merchant ship. I do see her leaving the house. I hope I don't need to spend more time on that. I'd be happy to help someone with a more lengthy explanation. But Proverbs 31, 1 Timothy chapter 5, helps us understand her important role as an overseer of the house in the absence of the husband. The husband leaves and he gives his wife and she understands what ought to be done with the children, with the household, and she is the overseer. That's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Let her guide the house. That's why I call her a domestic. She guides the house in all the ways that are below the, the larger strategic decisions that a husband makes. The woman's a worker. And that's where we ended up this morning looking at the fact that since she was made to be a helper, and because we've read those difficult verses at the end of Proverbs about a woman's role, she is a hard-working person. We, we defy and repudiate the Catholic and the Victorian idea of a woman being an ornamental decoration at home, living a life of leisure while the man is the full provider. That may sound noble to you, But it's not biblical. I will preach about men being providers. But the woman is a worker. She is not to have an easy lifestyle at home, being a so-called housewife and puttering around at home. Puttering around is something the virtuous woman never did. 
She didn't have time for puttering around because she made herself tasks in and out of the house to keep herself busy to build up that estate for her husband and for her children. And they both rise up and bless her because she builds the family estate. She makes as much money as she can with every financial venture that she engages in. And she does everything at home to provide for her husband and her children. She is a worker. And I reminded you that Sodom was destroyed because the daughters of Sodom were known for their abundance of idleness. And we live in a generation right now where little girls hardly do anything. And if you want to be great in the sight of the Lord, you'll be a worker. And work, if you have the right attitude, is a blessing and it's pleasure. Work is its own reward, some twisted people have said. Work is its own reward. And it is rewarding to accomplish things. And I encourage all the young ladies to be workers. Now because I've preached this, Women, that does not allow you to make decisions of how much, when, where you will work outside the home because you're in subjection, not to your pastor in decisions like that, but to your husband. He makes those decisions about when, where, and how much as he oversees the family and and puts into practice the combination of a ruler over a subjective wife and they together working for the benefit of their family. Let's go to the seventh point. The woman is a teacher. I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. These are the roles of a woman. She's a helper. She's in subjection. She's a follower. She's a lover. She's a mother. She's a domestic. And she works hard. And she's also a teacher. Proverbs chapter 1. As I think upon the the writers that God chose to write His words, I read verse 8 of chapter 1 a little differently. Proverbs 1.8 My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Who penned those words by the inspiration of God? (coughs) Solomon. Was, did Solomon have a little bit of knowledge and understanding? Was he a pretty intelligent husband? Was he far superior to his wife in those categories? Did he still tell his son not to forsake the law of his mother? And he's going to say the same thing in chapter 6 and verse 20, where it's worded this way, My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. There it is again. Even though Solomon was the wisest man on earth and his wife couldn't hold a candle to him in knowledge or understanding, he still tells his son, because God chose him to pen these words, because these are God's words, but I find them carrying even more weight because he had Solomon write them. That you still obey your mother. And a mother, therefore, according to these two verses, is a teacher even when Solomon is the father and husband. The woman is still a teacher. And so I encourage you women... Not to be content with the clothing of Proverbs 31 or the business ventures of Proverbs 31, but to include teaching them laws, rules about how to live, how to be courteous and to treat others, how to work hard at school or on a job, how to say thank you when someone has done something for you, how to relate to their father, how to love the Lord, how to have devotions. Who in the Bible was a great woman 
who was a great mother who taught her children how to have devotions. Hannah. We look at Hannah because Elkanah's hands were basically off of Samuel. Elkanah fathered Samuel, but Samuel was the Lord's from the beginning. And we see Hannah taking him to the tabernacle when he was just a little boy after he was weaned. How old is that? Let's be very liberal and say it was five or three. Do you know what it tells us in the last verse of 1 Samuel 1? He worshipped the Lord there. He worshipped the Lord there when Hannah dropped him off. Paul could say about Timothy that he had known the Scriptures from a little child. His mother and his grandmother had taught him the Scriptures. And wherever a husband is lazy or carnal or unconverted, the wife has to step up and do even more. In the case of Timothy, they did step up and do more. And look at the Apostle Paul makes reference to the fact that Timothy, his most trusted minister, the only minister in the New Testament that Paul said cares about people the same way I do, look where his first training was by his mother and his grandmother. Is that exciting for women? Amen. That, ought, that ought to motivate you to, to take this seventh point and be a teacher. They'll remember the laws of their mother. If their mother gives them laws, their holy laws, their godly laws, their realistic laws, their laws that match up whether they're a boy or a girl, don't be some little sissified mother and giving your boys rules that you got because you lived in a family of girls or you're going to cost yourself. Give them real rules. Rules about staying away from the strange woman. Rules about working hard and getting ahead by a job well done. Rules about fearing God and learning His Word and humbling Himself before the God of Heaven. Women can and should be teachers. I'm thankful for the examples of Lois, Eunice, and Hannah in the Bible. I want to take it a step further, though. A woman should know the Bible well enough to teach her husband when he needs it. Now, how often should that happen? You can Not very often. But sometimes it's going to be needed. Who in the Bible taught her husband and then taught the man after God's own heart all in one chapter? Abigail did. Abigail knew that her husband was wrong in the way that he was treating David. And Abigail did not tell him what she was doing. And she went and rescued David and gave him provisions for him and his men against her husband's wishes because he was a son of Belial and a fool. Then she met David who was in a rage and was about to come and wipe out the whole clan. And if you read in 1 Samuel 25, what an intelligent woman and what a gracious woman, the way that she was able to tell David that he was wrong without saying, you're wrong. She didn't get overbearing with him. She begged him to consider that he could stain his reputation. You've got to read it. It's what good understanding is all about. There is a right way to do things. There's a best way to do things. And Abigail knew how to do that. A woman of good understanding telling David. Now, now David was a pretty studly man. He had killed Goliath as his first item in the newspaper. You know, and only then did they find his bio-sketch that it included wrestling with bears and lions when he was out playing his harp in the field with sheep. He was a man's man. And yet Abigail 
told him, and told him very plainly, but very kindly and very graciously that he was wrong. And it took, takes about ten verses. You can go read it. And when you get to the end of it, David thanks her for that. Right. David blesses her for it. David realizes he has just heard from a woman that he was wrong, and that if, he, if she had not caught him in time, he would have stained his reputation for all time to come by killing a man just out of rage. And so I exhort you women to know the Bible because every husband, every husband should listen to the Bible. You bring the Word of God to bear on him when he's doing something wrong, but bring it graciously. Do you know the Bible well enough to do that, number one? And number two, are you wise enough to know how to graciously approach your husband? You know, you might want to write him a letter so that he's away from home when he reads it so that he has time to cool down before he sees you next. That's just wisdom. That doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. That's wisdom. That's a great woman. A great woman is not a doormat. A great woman just doesn't go around saluting when her husband is asking her to do something wrong, or he's about to do something wrong that's going to stain his reputation. She graciously, kindly waits for the moment. And she ought to know her husband better than anyone. If she'd open her two eyes and open her heart and be a sensitive wife, she ought to be able to figure out when could I say something, make a suggestion to my husband that he could do something better to please the Lord. And she shouldn't be invoking that privilege very often because it has nothing to do with her preferences. Although once in a while a wife may want to exercise the right to request a preference if she does it very graciously. I'm talking about sin and when a man's hurting himself, either with his children or with the church or with his job. A woman's a teacher, and Abigail was. The Bible gives us that lengthy explanation about Abigail so that we don't go into either ditch. I love Priscilla in the Bible. Now, there's another mighty man that we encounter in the New Testament. He was mighty in the Scriptures, and he was fervent in spirit. Do you know what it's like to talk to someone that is mighty in the Scriptures and fervent in spirit? He was a very earnest man. What was his name? He's in Acts chapter 18, Apollos. Apollos was a learned man, a mighty man of Scriptures, and very intense in his spirit. And guess who participated in teaching him the way of God more perfectly? Priscilla! Do you need help from the Greek on figuring out whether that's male or female? That's Mrs. Aquila. That's Priscilla. It says Aquila and Priscilla, they both took him home, and it says they explained to him the way of God more perfectly. There was Priscilla with enough Bible knowledge to be able to help convert Apollos from his John the Baptist gospel to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Women, you can be teachers. There's examples in the Bible. And I trust you to keep, continue to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, we have had read before you just a few minutes ago, Titus chapter 2, that says the aged women should teach the younger women. You older women, you have a job to do. And that's to, that's to go around and see these younger women and tell them to love their husbands. Not to correct their husbands, not to endure their husbands, to love their husbands. To go around and tell these mothers to love their children. And the Lord doesn't care about your little personal preferences of what kind of baby food you prefer. 
It's talking about loving children the way the Bible describes loving children, and it doesn't say a thing about their diet. It says everything about, I was tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. That is loving a child. It's not making sure you strain its carrots twice instead of once. God doesn't care about any of that stuff. He wants you to give your children something that is special, and it's described in the Bible. The law of a mother and being tender and only beloved in the sight of a mother. There should be one person where a child can go and is going to find a safe retreat, not an overbearing, critical person who wants to tell them one more thing they've done wrong. If there's anybody that's got that ugly job, it should be dad. I know, I'm good at it. Sorry. But I don't want to see women like that because the Bible doesn't describe women like that. And a woman that's like that with her children, I know what kind of a wife she is. She's a nagger. And women aren't to be naggers. They're to be teachers and to teach good things. And that little list in Titus chapter 2, that's a list of good things. Chaste, good, obedient to your husbands. All you older women should be just reminding The younger women, be obedient to your husbands. Trust the Lord. He'll take care of you. You first of all need to get convicted by this lesson yourself, and then you teach the younger women to get convicted about it. This is the Word of the Lord. You can be a teacher. You have a role. And it's an important role. That's a lot of teaching that a woman can do. I was was amused. As I mused on Proverbs, and Solomon telling his son, you know, if there was ever a husband in the history of the world that could say, ignore your mother, she's a little touched in comparison to me. You know, he didn't say anything like that. He said, oh, don't forsake the law of your mother. That's, a, that's an encouragement to all the, the women right there in, in Proverbs. She's a teacher. She's an heir. The woman is an heir. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, she is an heir of eternal life along with her husband. And I want all of you women to rejoice in this. Here's how I want to define it for you. There is no sexual difference in the eternal phase of salvation, the legal phase, the vital phase, the practical phase, and the final phase between men and women. There is no difference between a man and a woman in all five phases of salvation. The only difference between a man and a woman is in the offices and the roles that they have toward one another. And that is not the practical phase of salvation. The practical phase of salvation is conversion by the gospel of Jesus Christ to live a fruit-bearing life to please God. And you are no different than a man. You are an heir of eternal life. Look at Galatians 3.28. It puts it this way. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. God has, has elected. Christ has justified. The Spirit has regenerated. The Gospel converts. And God's going to glorify us both when it's all out and there is no difference. And because of this, we have 1 Peter 3, 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, and I'm not addressing this to the men. I'm addressing it to the women to encourage you that you do not have an inferior role when it comes to the grace of God. Right. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, 
What do we do when we find a likewise? Oh, we look back. Well, when I look back, I see another likewise at the first of the chapter, which forces me all the way back to chapter 2. So I've got men submitting to government, men submitting to bosses, wives submitting to husbands, and then it gets to the husbands. Don't you expect your wife to submit to you in the first six verses if you're not going to practice this verse. But that's for next Sunday. I'm trying to encourage you women, not pick on the men yet. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. You live with your wife, that wife that is in subjection to you in the first six verses. Live with her according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Two things men are to take into account about their wives. Number one, they're the weaker vessel. They will not do things at the level that a husband wants sometimes. They're not able to hold up under some things that a husband wishes they could hold up under. And so a man is to live with them according to knowledge, taking into an account that frailty of their nature. Second thing they're to take into account is that they are heirs together of the grace of life. There is no difference in the sight of God. And that means you cannot, as a man, treat her as a doormat, and you women should take comfort in this, that there's no difference except in the way that we relate to each other in marriage and in the house of God. There's no male nor female in Jesus Christ. When we get to heaven, there won't be any. Because the Bible tells us that. The woman's an heir of eternal life. And husbands better remember that, recognize it, and consider it well. You know, when we look through the Bible, women, take comfort in that. Be excited about that. The grace of God spent toward you is as great as the grace as it was toward the Apostle Paul. Other than his ministry. And that's not one of the five phases of salvation. When I look through the Bible, I find a Mary. Then I find another Mary. And another Mary. And I find Marys, and I find other women following the, more, the Lord Jesus Christ more faithfully than His own disciples. You are an heir of eternal life. And, and the point of this is being, you should be a spiritual person. A spiritual person. You should have your own walk with the Lord. You do not need your husband to help you walk with the Lord. You should walk with the Lord with your own relationship that will make you a better wife. If your relationship with the Lord depends on your husband, you're not even going to be a good wife, let alone a good saint. You can have your own relationship with God, and you should have one in walking with God. I love the Marys of the New Testament. I love the Annas and the Dorcases, who were superior to many of the men by their servant spirits. Look at Romans chapter 16. If you dive into Romans 16, you're going to come on a number of women that Paul encouraged and greeted because of the service they had provided the New Testament churches. Women, you are an heir of eternal life. Live like it. As an heir of eternal life, you'll exalt your spirit over your body. Your spiritual walk with Jesus Christ and the meek and quiet spirit of the hidden woman will be more important to you than anything on the outside. Calculate the number of hours and the intense effort and the care and concern and diligence that sometimes we put into the outside, but the Lord wants you to take care of that inner person because you are a child of God by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that inner woman is the one that ought to be adorned with good works. She's an heir of eternal life. While 1 Peter 3.7 is usually used to remind husbands of their duties, 
It's an encouragement to women that the grace of God has been spent on you as much as on any man. And you can walk with God and have a personal relationship with Him without a man. I'll remind you that the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the King of kings and Lord of lords, did not appear to Peter, nor did He appear to John after His resurrection, but He appeared first to Mary Magdalene. The woman is a glory. Number ten, the woman's a glory. She's a helper. She's a subject. She's a follower. She's a lover. She's a mother. She's a domestic, a worker, a teacher, an heir, and she's a glory. I've said this before, and I don't mean it foolishly. The song, How Great Thou Art, needs five verses. Because lofty mountain grandeur and gently flowing brooks are not all that attractive. But a woman sure is. Oh, what in the world is he writing about? Lofty mountain grandeur compared to a woman? You know, in all the travels of the men of the Old Testament, it doesn't say they stopped and admired the lofty mountain grandeur, but it sure tells us when they run into a Rebecca, an Abigail, a Rachel, and others that were, what does it say about them? Very fair to look upon. Does that mean they shielded their eyes or were they very fair to look upon? The Holy Spirit said that about them. They were just adorning, beautiful, gracious, wonderful women. They're a glory in the earth. God's greatest creation is not the flamingo. It's a woman. Adam saw all the rest. You know, Adam sat there in his chair... And the Lord brought every single pair of animals by. Every male and female of every species that you can imagine came by and He called. He gave them names. But it says for Adam there was no help found for him. Do you know how disappointed he must have been as he was going through that long list? Well, here comes Mr. and Mrs. Lion. Look at how happy they are. What are they doing? Um, then, then, along, then along came the other animals. And he just went through the whole creation of God and there was nobody for him. I'm, this is what the Lord tells us. Go read the context of the verse. There was not found a helpmeet for him. Because he's just gone through all the animals and there's no one for him, so he takes a nap. And it's good to sleep on things like that. And when he woke up, can you... Brethren. Amen. Amen. Eve did not need to go to a spa. No. Eve did not need clothes. Eve was not embarrassed. Eve was not ashamed. She was one incredible creation. And it was the glory that God, of the woman that God gave to the man. And does the Bible tell me that the woman is the glory of the man? Does it say that? 1 Corinthians 11.7 The man is the glory of God, and the woman is the glory of the man. The man is the glory of God in the sense that he is in dominion over creation, like God is in dominion over the universe. There may be other aspects, but they're inferior to this aspect. Because if you go read the context of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, the image and likeness of God is in their dominion over the creation that God made. And a man is glorious, and he's the reflection of God when he rules this creation. Now when the spotted owls begin ruling him, he no longer looks like God. Because God told him to have dominion over the whole earth and everything that lives on it. But the woman is the glory of the man. God takes delight in the man, and the man takes delight in the woman. Now, you can call it arm candy or whatever you want, but when you've got a wonderful, beautiful, gracious wife, 
and you get to lead her about as a sister, you are blessed. And I'm talking to you women. You're the glory of men. The Bible says that. What in the world did Adam think after viewing all of creation and then meeting naked Eve? And she said, hi. Just think about it. Do you you ever think about it when you read the Bible? He was pitifully discouraged after seeing all those animals. They were all in pairs. You say, how do you know they were in pairs? Well, listen, they wouldn't have got here. Have you ever seen a lion? Then you know there was a pair. Come on. He, and then he saw Eve. And the Lord did it right. And we all know that the Lord did it right. The woman's a glorious object. And you know, when I read Esther chapter 1, it's got me in trouble with a lot of people. Especially the temperance society of America when I preached that sermon 20 years ago. But when I read Esther chapter 1 and I sing, see King Ahasuerus, and he's, ha- he's held a feast for 180 days, and do you know what he wants to do? He wants to show them the most precious thing he's got in the kingdom, and it ain't the vault. Right. What does he want to show them? Is it his crown royal? No. He wants a crown on someone else. And who is it? His wife Vashti. Can you see? All the nobles of the Persian Empire had been assembled for 180 days, and now he was going to drop the biggest one on them of all. He wanted his wife to come out and show them that he had the most beautiful, wonderful woman in the whole world. And she rebelled, and then he got the most beautiful, most wonderful woman in the whole world, and that was Esther. Don't forget that in the Bible. And the woman can add to your visible glory by long hair. I thank you girls for wearing your hair long. I know it's extra work, and I know it's hot. When mine gets that much longer than it is right now, it makes me hot. You know, when I start to complain about it, and when it, I can't, I'll just leave it to you to take care of it, tie it back, put an air conditioner over your head, do whatever you need to, but long hair is beautiful to a woman. First Corinthians 11 tells us that it is her glory. As a young man's glory is his strength. And I've said this before. We, all, we can all relate to that. We all know the posing in the mirror of young men. We all know young men feeling robust and full of testosterone. Strength is their glory. And us older men like that fact. Because when we move stuff, all we have to do is stand back and hesitate just a moment. And they'll run right on up the ramp and grab the next piece of furniture. That's right. Amen. And we say, good boy. Good boy. Because their strength is their glory. Now, the opposite strength for a woman is her long hair. That signifies that she's different than the man and that she's wearing the covering that God gave her. Not a hat, but the covering that God gave her that distinguishes her from the male. From the man. And it's beautiful. And every real man knows that long hair is beautiful. And I thank you women for wearing long hair and I encourage you to do so, not because I like long hair, but because God likes long hair. And because the angels expect long hair. Go read 1 Corinthians 11, 14, 15, and 16. The angels expect to see you with a symbol of submission on your heads with long hair. A man is greatly blessed when he's given a gift of one of these glorious creatures called a woman. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22 and nineteen fourteen. House and riches might be the inheritance of fathers, but a virtuous woman is from the Lord. It's, she's from the Lord. Women, you're the glory of men. We're so thankful for you. Fulfill your roles. I'm not going to go over, I'm not going to list the ten again. I hope you've heard me. Do you know what it takes? A young man, and he's so right, 
and I totally agree, came to me at the break and said, it's not education that we need, because we already know. It's reminders to be convicted. And I hope that every woman, every girl, is sitting listening to this and not, not trying to memorize, because that's not, the, that's not the key. The key is, in your heart, saying, I can do better. God, help me to do better. Forgive me, for I have not done my best. But beginning today, I'm going to do better. Lord, help me. I want to meet you, Lord Jesus Christ, having been a great woman. No matter what the world thinks or says to you, God has spoken on this subject. And like every other subject, that settles it. Don't try to protect yourself from emotional damage or any other kind of damage in a marriage by holding God's word at bay. Humble yourself before it. It's the greatest protection of all because the God of heaven will protect you. And remember that submitting to your husbands is as unto the Lord. Pretend it's the Lord's ambassador because it truly is in your life. Fathers, it's your job to teach your daughters and your wives these things that we continue to have those women that adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. May Jesus Christ be praised.